Hi, and welcome to Awake, a Sleeping Beauty audiobook podcast based on the YA fantasy novel of the same name, Awake, by Holly Gary. Thanks for joining us. Let's get into the story. Chapter 13 It took us more than half an hour to walk there. We got lost a few times, turning where we shouldn't have. The look of the buildings changed as we walked from newer Parisian style to older Dutch style. We passed the Lille City Hall with its Art Deco bell tower, and we passed near the main square of the old town, and La Place du Théâtre, with its neo-Flemish bell tower. These things caught my eye, but Amédé only had eyes for the street signs. Rue de Molinelle? No. Rue Federbe? No. Rue Basse? No. We walked by the unfinished cathedral again, and within a few more minutes, we were back in the Place aux Oignons, facing the Rue des Vieux Murs. So, I said to him, do we go knocking on doors, or do we try to catch passers-by to ask for the Gilbert? The street's empty, he pointed out, and so it was. So was most of the town on a Sunday afternoon. Knocking, then, Amade nodded and took a deep breath. Most of the buildings on this street had shops or restaurants on the bottom of them, with apartments above, so we looked carefully at each one to find the door the inhabitants would use. We started at number one. We looked over the names posted by the doorbell. No Gilbert. Maybe we can skip this one, then, said Amédée. He looked about to faint from anxiety. Just because he was living with the Gilbert fifty years ago doesn't mean he is now. I mean, family names could have changed with marriage. I rang the first doorbell. An old woman's voice crackled over the speaker. Hello? Hello, ma'am, I said. Pardon me, but do you know if anyone called Gilbert or Beauvais lives in this building? No, they don't, she said, tersely. Oh, do you know where they live? No. I looked at Amade and shrugged. We moved on. Something similar happened at the next several buildings. At some of them, no one answered at all. Those who did were more or less polite. No one seemed to know the Gilbert. Maybe they've moved, said Amédé. I hadn't even thought of that. I hadn't either. Moving the corpse of a sleeping cousin just seemed too difficult. Let's not give up yet, I said. But Amédé was holding back tears. We went all the way down one side of the street, then started back up the other side. Maybe halfway down on that side was a building that looked purely residential. We stood under an ornate street lamp, and I looked at my umpteenth set of doorbells. There were only two here, and they were marked Lacoste and M.G. I tried M.G., and a young woman answered. I asked again. Excuse me, but does anyone named Gilbert or Beauvais live in this building? She was silent for a moment, and I wondered if she had walked away. But then she said, I'm Marthe Gilbert. Can I help you? I looked at Amédée, excited. His eyes had gone wide. I said, We're actually looking for someone who might be your cousin. His name is Auguste Beauvais. Again, there was a silence. What is your name? she asked. Celestine Chabot, I said. Come up, 
she said, and buzzed us in. We went up two flights of stairs, and there she was, waiting for us outside her door. She looked thirty-something. She looked at me. Are you Miss Chabot? Yes. We traded kisses. And you know Auguste? I didn't really know what to say. I'm a friend of a friend of his. She frowned. That's not possible. I couldn't really argue. Normally she'd be right. She looked past me at Amede, who was still on the stairs. And who are you? He had gone ghostly pale. Amede de Tremoya, he said, softly. There was a flash in her eyes, like recognition. She opened the door behind her and said, Auguste isn't here, but come in and I'll explain. She brought us into her sitting room and offered us tea, which we took since we'd been walking in the heat for so long. She and I made a little bit of small talk about the weather and about Lille. Amade looked about ready to die. Finally, she said again, I'm Marthe Gilbert. I live alone here. My family owns the top two floors of this building. We've had it for a long time. A long time. She stood and said, Will you come upstairs with me? She led us to a door tucked into the corner of the room. Behind it was a dark, narrow, spiral staircase. We followed her up. At the top, there was a door on either side of us. She took out a skeleton key and unlocked one of them. We entered a room with bare wooden floors and a few pieces of furniture and a small window that looked down on the street. Off to one side was a bed, and it looked so similar to the bed on which I'd found Amede asleep that a chill ran all through me. I knew then that this was where Auguste had slept for one hundred and fifty years. Amede hadn't had the same realization. He looks confused. Nacht invited us to sit on the bed. She leaned against the wall near the window and said, I have a story to tell you. It's completely fantastic, but I'm sure that if anyone could believe me, you could. We nodded, and she went on. It began just before the rise of Napoleon. An ancestor of mine owned this apartment at the time, and she lived here with her son and their cousin. One day, the cousin fell asleep and didn't wake up again. Beside me, Amade gasped. Keep up, I thought. Knox continued. They brought in doctors, of course, but none could figure out what was wrong with him. He wasn't dead. He didn't even seem ill. But nothing they did could wake him up. So my ancestor put him in this room, and as more time passed, it became the family secret. The sleeping cousin in the attic. And each generation since then was told the story, and exhorted to keep him safe and unseen. He became my charge last year, when my parents moved to the countryside. You can imagine my shock about a month ago, when someone opened my door downstairs and it was him. I nearly fainted. But the old folks in my family had always believed that he would wake up one day. And they were right. He was incredibly hungry, since he hadn't eaten in more than a century. And after I fed him, he told me the story of the Prince de Tremoya. 
She looked at Amede. I'd never heard it before. That surprised me, but perhaps the legend was only known in Bretagne. The prince was cursed by a fairy to fall asleep for an undetermined amount of time, and with him, all who loved him would sleep too, until a young lady of noble birth came to wake him with a kiss. My cousin Auguste sat at my table and said, It must have happened. Someone has woken Amede. I wouldn't believed any of it, except that I'd seen the proof for myself. My cousin slept for a hundred and fifty years, and then woke up feeling like no time had passed at all. So did I, said Amede. His voice sounded like it came from a great distance, instead of right beside me. I looked over at him. His eyes looked far away, too. I was ready to burst with excitement. We'd found the right place, but he didn't look like I would have expected him to, upon learning his lover was alive. He said, But where is he now? You've missed him, said Marthe. She gave Amédée a pitying look. Maybe she knew what had passed between him and Auguste. He left two weeks ago. Amédée crumpled. I wanted to do the same. Instead, I put an arm around him. It's all right. It'll be all right, I said, though I wasn't sure of that at all. He buried his face in my shoulder. Had we really come all this way only to fail? What good was the knowledge he was alive if we couldn't find him? I asked Marthe, do you know where he went? He was looking for work, she said slowly. Any work. I sent him to a man I know in Normandy, who is always looking for people to work on his ships, and who never asks questions. Amede said into my shoulder, Where in Normandy? Cherbourg, she said. So we'll go there, I said, determined. I can give you this man's name and address, the same as I did for Auguste, said Marthe. That's very kind of you, I said, still holding on to Amede, who was still hiding. Marthe came over and knelt by the bed. He left a few of his things here. I don't think he meant to. You can take them to him. She pulled a shoebox out from under the bed and handed it to Amede and said, I assume he just forgot it was there. He unhid and opened the box gingerly. Letters, he said, from his family, from my aunt. He shuffled through them slowly. And then he said, Oh, and one from me. I wrote to him when I had to go away once. I wished I were at home with him. He trembled as he unfolded it. It was brittle and yellowed like the old newspapers. A dried flower fell out of it. And just like that, he was crying. He kept it. My flower. And this... At the very bottom of the box was a painted miniature of Amede, looking angelically pretty, as always. All this means that he did love you back, I told him. Not only did he keep those things, he fell asleep when you did. Amede turned to me, eyes huge and wet. He might only love me as a friend. He left me so easily. It might have seemed easy to you 
I said. That doesn't mean it really was. Nacht looked uncomfortable at witnessing all this. Come back downstairs, she said. I'll write down that address for you. We followed, but Amede paused in the doorway and looked back at the room like he was trying to memorize it. Downstairs, Nacht took out a piece of paper and wrote down the information for us. I wrote down my address for her, so she could inform us if Auguste came back to Lille. After that, she clearly wanted us to leave. We walked slowly back to my aunt's house. Amede was silent, clutching the shoebox. When we arrived, he dragged me to the room he shared with Rémy. He sat Auguste's box carefully on the dresser, then flung himself onto the bed and dissolved into tears once more. I didn't know what to make of it. Amede, I sat down beside him. What's wrong? He didn't reply. His sobs grew louder, racking his whole body. I patted his back, unsure what else to do. I tried to imagine what was upsetting him. We'd finally achieved what we'd come to Lille to do. Slowly, I said, Are you overwhelmed? I suppose this is a lot to take in. Still nothing. His cries were so loud that I was afraid someone would come to investigate the source of the noise. I kept rubbing his back and saying, It's all right, even though I didn't know what he was upset about. Ten minutes passed this way. I found myself getting annoyed with him. How could one boy cry so much? But I knew I was being unfair. Slowly, his sobbing lessened, and after a few more minutes, he rolled over and looked up at me. His face was red and swollen and wet. What is it? I asked again. He rubbed his eyes. I'm so afraid I've lost him, Celestine. His voice was quiet and choked. But now we know he's alive, I said. Amide closed his eyes. But he's gone. I missed him here. What if I miss him in Cherbourg, too? What if he's already off at sea? I'll never find him. The last of his words were swallowed by more tears. We'll find a way, I said. It probably wouldn't be hard to obtain ship's records saying who had recently departed from the port of Cherbourg, right? But that sounded so exhausting, after all we'd already done. I kind of saw Amede's point. Still, I knew I'd see this through until the end, until we found Auguste, or ran out of ways to try. How could I not? My fate was tied up in this too. Amede started to talk again, so quiet I didn't notice at first. I keep thinking about that newspaper article, too, where it said he was insensible to the touches and jeers of the crowd. That upset me. I'd never thought of it that way, him being a spectacle, like in a circus. I was protected while I slept, but he wasn't. I can't bear to think about people touching him and mocking him. That's over now, I said, softly. He's away from all that. He nodded and rolled over on his stomach again. I lay down on the bed with him, 
but once he drifted off to sleep, probably from sheer stress, I went back out to the sitting room. Rémy was there, back from his excursion with Michel. How was the citadel? I asked. We couldn't get too close, because the military still uses it, but it looked interesting from afar. It's shaped like a pentagon. Fascinating. Rémy was sprawled across the sofa, so I flopped into the chair beside him. He shifted to look at me. What happened on the Rue des Vieux Murs? He wasn't there, but he's alive. Slowly, I began to explain. Thank you for listening to Chapter 13 of Awake by Holly Gary. If you're enjoying yourself, feel free to leave us a review and share us with other book lovers. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Awake the Podcast. And you can follow Holly, the author, on Twitter at HollyGary7 and on TikTok at Holly Ann Writer. That's Anne spelled with an E. You can look forward to Chapter 14 coming out next week. In Chapter 14, the gang gets quite a shock when they get to Cherbourg. Until then, happy reading, and we hope your week is fantastical.